Welcome to the sermon podcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on December 28, 2014, on the basis of Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. I can remember it as if it were just yesterday, the year that I got the part in the Christmas play that no 10-year-old boy ever wants to have. A shepherd, that would have been great. I mean, part of the shepherd's costume was to have one of those big, huge wooden sticks, which turned into lightsabers the second that the director turned in the other direction, right? Wise men, that would have been fine too. Joseph, he was the star of the show. But of course, being Joseph meant that you had to sit next to a girl and pretend like you were married to her. But bottom line is, any one of those would have been fine. But I got the part of being the angel. Now, I should quickly point out that in the Bible, just two angels are ever mentioned by name, and both of them are male. I should also point out that if we were to actually read the description of angels given in the Bible, we would realize that these are mighty, ferocious warriors of God, and any 10-year-old would be happy to play an angel. And yet, for some reason, we still picture angels as sort of these sweet, gentle beings, much like the one you see here. And the fact remains that in the Christmas story, in the Christmas play, an angel is usually played by a girl, which, of course, all of my friends were very quick to point out to me that year. But, you know, in all my years of of being in Christmas plays or going to watch Christmas plays, I don't think I ever saw or heard of anyone who was eager to play the role of the characters that we're talking about today. As I read those words from Matthew, you heard some of the usual cast of characters mentioned, Mary and Joseph, Jesus, the wise men. The villain in the story is a guy by the name of King Herod, and we'll talk about him. But really our attention today is on this group of very young baby boys from Bethlehem who were senselessly and mercilessly killed. It all started with that wicked and deranged King Herod. When the wise men came from the east, they first went to Jerusalem, the capital city, to worship the king, to look for the king. And when they told King Herod why they were there, he immediately thought there was a threat to his throne. And so at first, Herod tried a surgical strike. He said to the wise men, you go to Bethlehem, you find him, you come back and you tell me where he is, and then I too can go and worship him. Of course, he wanted to kill Jesus. When those plans were foiled, Herod employed what we might call scorched earth tactics. Well, let's just kill everybody. And not just the babies who are a few months old, maybe a year old, which is probably about how old Jesus was. Let's raise it up to two years. And not just in Bethlehem, but let's do the surrounding vicinity as well, just to make sure. Most historians estimate that anywhere from 20 to 30 of these young baby boys in Bethlehem were killed. So I suppose this story prompts us to ask what people always ask whenever there's any sort of tragedy. Why? In fact, as we look at this particular tragedy, we're probably 
prompted to ask that question from a couple of different angles. First of all, why did God allow this to happen? Just prior to these verses, we hear how the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. In these verses, we hear how Joseph received a dream where he was told to take Mary and Jesus and escape to Egypt. So God is clearly willing to intervene in this story and protect people, but everyone in the story gets protected except these baby boys of Bethlehem. Why did God allow this tragedy to take place? Let's take it a step further than that. Why did God allow it to happen? Either way, it happened. Why put it in the book? Here's what I mean by that. If you were going to write a book that told the story of Jesus' life, and you wanted that book to cause people to love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, would you put that story in there? Would you include the story of how just months after the Savior's birth, these babies are dying as a result? Would you include the story where God protects everyone in the story except these innocent bystanders? Or would you kind of just leave that one out? By the way, a good reminder and good evidence of the fact that if these stories that we find in the Bible are just myths that were created by the church to invent this religion called Christianity, this isn't one that you'd throw in there. Another reminder that this is a true, genuine account of things that actually, truly happened. Because anyone who's just trying to promote an, ag an agenda would leave this story out. Why would God allow it to happen? Why would the Holy Spirit see fit to put it in the book? And then finally, why are we talking about it? I mean, here we are three days after Christmas. Couldn't we find something a little bit more pleasant to discuss? In fact, you'd have to go all the way back to about 400 A.D. when the church first set aside December 28th as the day to remember these holy innocents, the first martyrs of the church. What in the world were they thinking? And how come somewhere along the line someone hasn't decided to change it? Why did God allow it to happen? Why is it in the book? Why are we talking about it? I guess all of those are just different ways of asking, can't we just skip over this part? Actually, there are a couple of good reasons why we can't skip over this part. And the first one is that by taking time to study this lesson today, we keep Christmas from being too comfortable. Here's what I mean by that. Out of all the holidays of the year, Christmas is probably the most comfortable one of the year, right? I mean, nothing says Christmas like lounging around in your PJs and putting your slipper-covered feet up on the ottoman, sipping on a nice hot cup of coffee in front of a warm, crackling fire. It's great, isn't it? And I think one of the reasons why Christmas is so comfortable is because we are celebrating the birth of a baby. And that scene that we all picture in our minds, that scene of this tiny little baby all bundled up in swaddling clothes, lying on a neat bed of hay as Mary and Joseph and the shepherds 
stand and admire. It's a story that can make everyone smile. But that image that we have in our mind at Christmas needs to be balanced. And it needs to be balanced by the image of Herod's henchmen ripping babies away from their mothers and putting them to death with the sword. Because even now, just three days after Christmas, we need to remember what happens when light enters a world of darkness. When light is born into a world of darkness, the darkness doesn't move over. The darkness doesn't make room. The darkness doesn't adapt or adjust. The darkness rejects the light and the darkness tries to expel the light. And so even now, just three days after Christmas, it's good for us to remember why Jesus came. To do battle against the darkness. It's good for us to remember that just a few months from now, we'll be gathered here in these very same seats, remembering another senseless, tragic death, the one that Jesus suffered on the cross. So as good as it is for us to sing today, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. It's also good for us to sing, nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross he'll bear for me, for you. And in fact, that same battle between light and darkness happens each and every day in each and every one of our lives. When light shines into our heart, the darkness doesn't move over, the darkness doesn't make room, the darkness doesn't adjust, the darkness tries to expel that light. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus was all grown up, He turned and said to those who were following him, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When he also said, If anyone wants to save his life, he must first be willing to lose his life for me. It shouldn't surprise us one bit that Jesus said those things because already here, just a few months after he was born, that's exactly what was going on. People were dying for Jesus. And so that's the first reason why it's good for us not just to skip over this part, but to remember these baby boys who died in Bethlehem. It's good for us to remember that Jesus came to do that battle. And of course, it's also good for us to remember how the battle ends. Speaking of endings, what did you think of the way that today's gospel lesson came to an end? Matthew quotes that passage from Jeremiah and says that what happened in Bethlehem was fulfillment of what Jeremiah had spoken about. That women would lose their children and that they would be weeping, and I quote, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The end. Actually, it's not the end. Something good for us to keep in mind is that when a New Testament writer quotes an Old Testament passage, he very often has in mind not just the specific words that he quotes, but the entire context that surrounds it. And so one of the reasons why we read that lesson from Jeremiah today is that that lesson gives us some of that context. That prophecy in Jeremiah was originally about how the two southern tribes of Israel, Judah 
and Benjamin would be carried off into exile in Babylon. And so Rachel, who was the mother of Benjamin, would be weeping because her children, her descendants, would be hauled off. They would be no more. But did you notice what the Lord said? In response, the Lord says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants. Your children will return to their own land. So even when there is weeping, even when there are tears, with God there's always hope. It was true for the people of the Old Testament. Those people who went off to exile eventually came back. It was also true for these baby boys who were senselessly murdered in Bethlehem. Even though there was weeping, there was still hope. And thankfully, we don't even have to rely on the very shallow, very empty hope that the world offers us whenever tragedy strikes. I'm sure you've noticed this, that whenever there's a tragedy, we kind of get the impression that no matter who it is, no matter what's happened, everyone goes to heaven, right? Everyone is off in a better place. Certainly if there are children involved, we're given that impression, right? As if children get some sort of automatic free pass to heaven. What a blessing that we have a hope that is far more certain than that. You see, whether it was these babies or, or any other tragedy that has ever happened, God always provides a way for us to keep our children safe. Back in the Old Testament times, it was through, his, through this sign of circumcision. On the eighth day, every male was circumcised, and that was a sign that God had adopted these children into his family. In the New Testament, of course, that covenant of circumcision is replaced with the sacrament of holy baptism. That even though children come into this world anything but innocent, even though from day one there is darkness inside of them that makes them guilty before God and destined for His judgment, God provides a way. Through baptism, God forgives their sins. He creates faith in their hearts. And on that day, God makes our children His children. So no matter what, even when there is weeping, there's always hope. Because God provides a way for us to be safe. God provides a way for our children to be safe as well. So I don't know if anyone will ever be begging to play the part of the baby boys of Bethlehem who were senselessly murdered. But finally, it's a good story for us to consider. Because even amidst this awful tragedy, God's grace and God's power shine through. So it's not a story that we want to just skip over. But instead, even this part is part of the reason why Christmas is such a wonderful and blessed day. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.